There's a song we love to sing. Love one another. For love is of God. And we love to sing that song, but that song comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. As John is writing to Christians, and he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We love the idea of love. Everybody wants to be loved. And everybody wants to have someone to love. But then there are those folks that it's hard to love. Right? And we don't know what to do with that. And yet, as Christians, we are supposed to love each other. This morning, we start on a series about love and what it is to have love, what it is to, to love as a Christian. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to think about that great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on love, and we want to think about what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for us as Christians uh, to have love? We want to think about that difficulty of love. We want to think about how love drives us upward and onward. So let's begin this morning by thinking about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 13, or, or chapter 13 rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, you will know this passage. I'm confident it's familiar to all of us. Uh, and I'm also confident that we hear this passage a lot at weddings. And people want to apply this to uh, weddings, to marriage, and there's certainly nothing wrong with practicing this type of love in your marriage. Uh, and there's certainly nothing wrong with trying to practice this type of love in your interpersonal relationships in your family. But really, that's not the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a church that was struggling and beating itself up constantly. It was a church that had a number of struggles. And so I want you just to think about the opening here, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then let's think about uh, some of the struggles that this church was having. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. He says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul goes through all these great things and he says, look, guys, if I can speak in tongues, if I can prophesy, if I'm such a generous guy that I sell everything that I have, and I give it to other folks, but I'm doing it out of something other than love? None of those things profits me. None of those things does me any good. And he's saying this because there were people in the church at Corinth that were eating each other up, so to speak, over different spiritual gifts and that sort of thing, but that wasn't the only problem in the church at Corinth. They were inundated with problems. In fact, if we go back to the beginning of this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 uh, through 13, Paul talks about some of the things that were going on there at the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but 
made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And so Paul says there are divisions that exist in the church at Corinth. It was so bad that some of Chloe's people, we don't know who Chloe was, but apparently she was part of the church there at Corinth, uh, and she evidently uh, sent some of her servants or people associated with her to come to Paul and say, man, Paul, things are really bad here. This church is not in good shape. And so Paul is responding to that. And that probably is the purpose of Paul's letters to address some of these things. In fact, when we get to chapter 7, he says, now about the things with which you wrote. So he spends the first half of the letter writing about things that are on his mind that he knows are troubling the church. But starting in chapter 7, he goes chapter after chapter talking about different things that they had questions about. Problems that existed in the church there. There is a problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with one of their members uh, being with his stepmom. Understand what I'm saying? And, and Paul's not too pleased with the attitude that the church has there and letting that sin just continue, continue to fester in that congregation. Chapter 6, he's dealing with brethren suing one another. Chapter 7, he's talking about problems in marriages. Chapter 8, uh, he's starting to deal with problems between uh, issues of faith and opinion and freedom that you have as a Christian and eating meat uh, and that sort of thing. And so there's all these conflicts in the church. And then starting in chapter 12, all the way through chapter 14, he's dealing with this conflict that exists in that church over spiritual gifts. And chapter 13, this great chapter on love, is in that discussion of gifts. But you see, he's been talking about conflict after conflict after conflict. And finally, when he gets to chapter 13, he says, Guys, you have to practice love. And so we come over here to chapter 13. And Paul says, This is what self-sacrificial love is. And so we read these things. Beginning in verse 4, Paul says, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, and does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will, of, will be done away. The partial will be done away. And so Paul says this, this is the quality of love, agape love, self-sacrificial love. You, probably everyone in here has heard 
how the Greeks had different words for love. And they, they focused on different aspects of what you and I call love today. There was leo love, that's that brother that you have towards someone just because they're a human being. You have that agape love, that self-sacrificial love that says, I'm going to put somebody else ahead of myself. And that's the love that Paul's talking about. And he says, so look, guys, first of all, that sort of love is patient. Now think about what's going on in the church at Corinth. You had people with different levels of knowledge. You had people with different spiritual gifts. But love, Paul says, first of all, is a love that is patient for others. It waits on others. It waits for people to grow. It understands that people have different weaknesses, different personalities. And that's where patient comes in, comes in, right? Because we all know that guy that just gets under your skin, right? And it may be just because your personalities are, are, are different uh, and, and you're, you're two people that you're not going to be buddies together but you still practice that sacrificial love towards one another. And some of that is patience, right? You, you, you've all seen that person that when you see that individual come and everyone else says, oh, no, here comes so-and-so. He's going to talk your ear off. Or this person's going to do this or that. That's patience. That's that self-sacrificial love that you still worship and get along with that person. You still do good things for that individual. Now, in a church like Corinth, you can imagine with, with all the different things going on, how important that was to say, you know what, I'm going to wait for this person to grow and to change and to mature and to get on the clue boat about some things. And that's patience. But then Paul says love does not envy on one side and boast on the other. And we've talked about this before. And, you know, those are kind of the on the same coin, but they're on the flip side of, of the coin, right? Because arrogance or boasting is that thing that says, look at these talents that I have, these skills that I have, these things that I have, and I can be boastful about those things. I can brag about those things. I can carry myself with a aloof attitude, kind of like we were talking about in Bible class today. It doesn't do anybody any good. But then we can be envious of the person that has those things that we don't want, that, that we wish we had. Whether we're talking about talents or abilities or physical things or certain amounts of money or, or whatever. You know, you flip that coin and either way it's a bad thing. You know, uh, it would be wrong for me if I knew there was a brother or sister struggling with something. Struggling financially, maybe. And I boast about, oh, look at my brand new Cadillac out there. Look at my brand new uh, whatever. You know, there's a family over here that's struggling just to make ends meet. And I go and tell that brother, oh, man, you should see that speedboat that I just got. Now, is there anything wrong with having a speedboat? No. Especially if you take the preacher out skiing, right? Uh, but, uh, you know... We can brag about those things. Sometimes love is just being sensitive to understanding that there are some people that don't have all the things that we have or don't have the talents or the abilities uh, that we have. And we can boast about those things and brag about those things. And that's hurtful to other folks. By the same time, uh, there might be a brother that has some things or a sister that has some things that I don't have, and I can just be so envious of that person that I begin to treat that person with contempt. 
that person thinks they're so good just because, and, and maybe that person hasn't done anything to act that way. But we just let that contempt eat away at us. Folks, that's not love. Paul says, love on the one hand doesn't boast, but on the other hand, love is not envious. Folks, we ought to be so proud when someone in our congregation, when someone in our church family accomplishes something or, or has something, and we ought to rejoice with them and be grateful with them. You know, it's easy with our kids, right? When one of our kids graduates from high school, or does something great, everyone in the church is able to celebrate with that person or whatever. Why can't we do that with other things? You know? If one of the kids in the congregation does some great athletic thing and gets a, an award for that, why can't we all just be grateful for that and rejoice with that? You know, but oftentimes those, those types of things happen. And we let in creep into our lives and look at that person with contempt. Next, Paul says, love is not uh, rude. Okay, it does not act unbecomingly. Really, really that word there, uh, does not act unbecomingly, means to be rude, really indecent, or deformed in our behavior. This is the person that is obnoxious and, and just acts in a rude way towards other folks. That's not love. And then Paul says love does not seek its own. And this is probably one of the toughest things of not seeking your own, seeking yourself. In our culture, we're all about this. American culture is all about celebrating our individualistic differences and serving ourselves. That's why Burger King says you can have it your way. Right? Because we're all about ourselves and our culture. Uh, think about what's going on in the church at Corinth. Paul has to spend an entire chapter talking about don't sue each other. Don't drag each other into the law courts. Self-serving is what prompts me to do that. That guy, you know, he did this or, or that. But you see, love is self-sacrificial. He says, you know, I don't know if that brother meant to do that or not but I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to have to drag him into a law court and literally sue my brother over something. I turn the other cheek. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to do. Uh, and sometimes you know that someone is uh, taking advantage of you. Okay, well, don't let him take advantage of you anymore. Sometimes you know that somebody has done something a little bit over, under, underhanded. Don't let him do that anymore but you can still love the person. You don't have to drag him into, into court. Paul says, uh, do not seek yourself. All of these things that were going on in the church of Corinth, that's what it was all about. Most of it was seeking self, seeking one's own glory. Then Paul says, love is not easily angered, meaning it's not actually provoked to wrath. We've talked some in recent weeks about pushing buttons. Okay? You, you know how to push your spouse's button. You know how to push the buttons of other, other people around you and, and to quickly get them uh, to anger. We shouldn't do that. But by the same token, love learns to control itself so that you let things at times just roll off your back. That's tough to do, isn't it? Why do we get angry? What is the, 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 the root or the seed of anger? Can we talk about that? 
Yeah, hurt, pain. Anger stems from me feeling like I've been slighted or insulted in some way. That's where anger comes from. That's really the root of anger. Uh, think about Cain and Abel. Kills Abel because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's was not. We don't know exactly what it was. Scripture doesn't really detail for us exactly what it was about that sacrifice that wasn't acceptable. But Cain knew what it was. And Cain gets so angry because Abel did something bad to him? No. He's insulted by the fact that his sacrifice was not accepted by God. And so he takes it out by killing his brother. That's what anger is. That's what anger does. That's what feeling like you've so insulted me. Folks, if it's possible, we need to practice a level of love that says, you know what, I don't know if this brother meant to do that or not. I'm just going to let it roll off my back. I'm not easily angry. There's a friend of mine that used to preach at a congregation here in the Metroplex, and, and uh, he's, he preached for a very large, well, somewhat large congregation, several hundred members. Uh, and, and he had a sister that came up to him one time, and, and she said, I don't like the way you preach. That's always a good way to start a conversation. I don't like the way you preach. So what do you mean? And she said, you, she said, I've been counting. And you look to the folks on the right side of the congregation this many times, and you only look at my side of the congregation this many times. And I can't remember the exact numbers that he gave that she told him. I mean, she, she had him counted out. And it was like three, three, a difference of three. Now, can you imagine being so petty and upset as to say, you look at this side this many times more than you look at this side? Maybe just the habit that we tend to look at things on the right side on our right sides more than we do on our left. You know, but there are some people, uh, you know, instead of her saying, you know, did I do something to you? Did I? I mean, obviously she was insulted because she felt like he was ignoring her because he only looked at her side, you know, three times less than, than the other side. But you see, we do silly things like that. That's not love. That's self-interest. That's allowing ourselves to become easily angered about something. Now, folks, there are times we need to be angry. The word here does not mean that you never have anger. The idea is that you have a, 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 an explosion of wrath. Love does not have those explosions of wrath. Paul says that's not what love is. But sometimes there's time to be angry. Sometimes your children need to see you be angry uh, when they take that expensive vase because you told them not to play ball in the house. Uh, and they've done it anyway, and now that vase is on the floor. That's not an example for my house. I'm just saying those things happen, right? Kids need to see parents be angry because this was something bad that happened. What do you mean you hit your baseball through the next door neighbor's window? You know, there, there needs to be time that there are some levels uh, of anger. There are injustices of the world. We can't sit by and let little children in Syria uh, be killed with chemical bombs dropped by their own government. It's okay to be angry about that and to take action to prevent those things from happening again in the future. It's okay to be angry. But we need to be careful that we don't let our anger go to explosions of wrath for minor things. Love doesn't do that. 
And so Paul says that's not what love is. Love isn't that explosive anger. So we need to get rid of those things. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. In the battle between talents, you can see how maybe there are some folks who had the gifts of prophecy or the gift of, of speaking in tongues or the gifts of, of healings, and, and, and maybe someone felt like they were slighted in some way and they start keeping a record. Well, that person may have the gift of prophecy, but look at what they've done over here. We need to be careful that we don't do that. Now, this would never happen in any of the relationships in this room, but you have you ever known anyone that said, well, you know, remember that time 10 years ago that... Uh, you know, I asked you to take the trash out, and you didn't, and the trash man, and you forgot that we had trash in the house for, for five more days until the trash man came in. I mean, have you ever known anyone like that? Remember that time you forgot my birthday? Well, remember our fifth wedding anniversary when, you know, that would never happen in this group, right? But Paul says love does not keep a record of wrongs. Sometimes we do that. We, we keep those records of things. Now, the intent here many scholars believe, is the idea that you keep records of wrongs so that you can get back at the person. This person did me wrong 10 years ago, and I, now I'm just waiting for that right time when I can show them who's boss, or I can show them exactly what they deserve. That's not love, folks. Paul says we need to get rid of those things uh, in our church if we're going to have a healthy church, Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And again, that goes to the idea of, uh, of bad things happening to people around you. Just like that phrase is. Nope, that couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Ever use that phrase? That couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Boy, I tell you what, he had that coming. And we rejoice when bad things happen to people. Paul says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. We don't take joy in seeing bad things happen uh, to people just because of something that we think He says, instead, this is what love is. He says, love bears all things, meaning we bear each other up. We share the burden with one another. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The idea in, these, in, these, in this, uh, this grouping of four that Paul has here, Quadruple, there you go, is the idea that love bears each other up. We believe good things about one another. We have good hopes for one another. We hope that we're going to grow, and we believe that, and we encourage each other in that, endure all things. You take that person that's a brand-new Christian, and you have a lot of hope for that person. You want to see them grow. You want to see them become an effective, powerful Christian. But they're not going to do that overnight. They're going to make some mistakes along the way. They're going to blow it from time to time. And as a loving brother, my responsibility is to endure with them and be patient with them. Maybe I sometimes have to correct them in a loving way to help them grow rather than immediately just beat them up. Paul says, love endures all things. Now, to these Corinthians, he says, look, there's going to come a time in which prophecy and speaking in tongues and knowledge, and the word for knowledge there means uh, divinely inspired knowledge. He says, all those things are eventually going to go away, but what's going to remain is love. We need to keep love. 
And so as Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, he's talking about problems uh, that they're having and things that, that they're struggling with. And Satan uses unlovable things in the church to create problems for the church and to divide the church. But we're not going to let him do that. Let's think about how love drives us upward and onward. Folks, Satan is always trying to find conflicts in a, in a church family to create problems. And we start this series because we want to focus on love, not because we have any particular problem or, or struggle that we're dealing with right now, uh, but we're just talking about love. And we, we, we know that Satan wants us to not be successful in reaching lost souls. And so he'll try to create conflicts. He'll try to create problems. But love gets past that because love is focused on helping people grow in their faith, helping people grow in their knowledge of God. And by enduring and being patient and being kind. How many souls are not here today because of pride or hurt feelings that they suffer in life? And Tracy was mentioning in class today, uh, experience in, with people that she's known uh, who maybe have had pain. And it's true, when people have pain in their life, they don't want to come to church, especially if that pain is associated with a church at some point in their past. And so that's where love comes in, and love says, you know what, I want to care for you. I want to show compassion to you. I want to help you grow and help you mature. And folks, when we do those things, that's when the church grows and matures. It's not the only thing that's required, but it's a required ingredient that we treat each other with love and we hope the best for each other. And that hope spurs us on to encouraging and teaching and helping each other grow and serving together. And overlooking the fact that sometimes someone has a better talent or a different, no, I shouldn't say better talent, but a different talent than I do, or maybe somebody has multiple talents and they're just all over the place doing great things. Instead of being envious of that, I can be rejoicing in that. But that's my brother. Or that's my sister. Look what he or she is able to do. And folks, when we do that, the church will be in harmony and be able to have that same mind and that same purpose. And we'll be able to lead folks to know Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And you want to do that. Whatever your need, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.